my mother, my mother begged me not to become a police officer uh, because that wasn't something that we really saw a lot of um, uh, pride in because of the history, uh, especially in the South. You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years' experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. Hey fam, how you doing? This is Dale once again with the Black and Blue Podcast. I'm your host. Thank you for joining me on this dynamic episode because today I got somebody out here in California in the administration side of things to give us a little insight of what happens there. Please help me welcome in everybody, Lieutenant Robbie Williams. How you doing, sir? Yeah, I'm doing really well, Dale. Thanks for having me on your show. No doubt. No doubt. So how's things going out there? How's, how's things in Hawthorne? You know, Hawthorne's going uh, well. I mean, you know, we, we put together a pretty good plan uh, to keep our men and women safe as they go out and provide uh, public safety for the community. Um, and what we haven't let up on is our commitment to uh, relationship building. We found some fascinating ways to keep that relationship going. Uh, and we're not gonna allow the COVID-19 to prevent our mission from taking place. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. Good deal. Have you guys seen any any illnesses, any serious deaths, or anything in the department or the city as a whole? You know, fortunately for us, we haven't had uh, not one officer uh, as of yet uh, be uh, directly impacted by uh, this disorder. So we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed, um, and we hope that our practices and use of PPE and social distancing is paying off for us. I hope so. Uh, right. we keep it that way and we're, we're being smart about it on our calls too you know our calls for service uh, we're being very strategic about how we go out and enforce the laws and um, I hope it keeps us safe in the future All right. yeah yes sir so uh, you guys are Hawthorne where, where is that situated for people that don't know okay so Hawthorne is uh, six square miles we're just east of El Segundo which is LAX most people fly in the LAX, uh, that's the Los Angeles uh, airport. We're the next city over, and uh, we're south of Inglewood, and I want to say we're uh, west of Compton. So we have okay. some interesting dynamics. We have the beach, we have the inner city, and we have some parts of south Los Angeles also. Okay. And how large is the city as far as the population? Uh, six square miles. Yeah, okay. And so we have probably about 100,000. On okay. census, probably about 89, but mm -hmm. uh, our daytime population is about 100,000. And what's usually the demographic makeup of, of Hawthorne? You know, I want to say uh, largely Hispanic, probably about 43% uh, tau, um, would be Hispanic, and uh, following that would be African American. Okay, okay. And what about the department? How large is Hawthorne PD? Uh, department, uh, we're about 150 personnel with about uh, 96 police officers. Okay, all right. And how long have you been there? So I've been there 24 years. It'll be 25 years in January. All right, congratulations. Hey, you're welcome, man. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that uh, because, you know, it's not easy, you know, sometimes uh, being in law enforcement, but it, believe it or not, time goes by really fast. Yeah, it does, yeah, it does. And uh, during your career, what, what all have you done? So I started off as a patrol officer, as most people do. Uh, I worked my way up to work detective bureau, where I worked robbery homicide. And then from there, I promoted to sergeant. And uh, as a sergeant, I worked special victim section, uh, which dealt with sexual assaults and crimes against children. And I also worked community affairs. Uh, obviously, I worked patrol. Uh, that's, that's part of the rotation. When you promote, you go back to patrol, then you start from ground one again, and you build back up. Yep. And then yep. um, I promoted in uh, 2016 to lieutenant. And from a lieutenant standpoint, I worked watch commander. 
uh, and I'm currently now in charge of the Community Affairs Bureau. Okay, and, and what is Community Affairs? So Community Affairs uh, is something that we reunited uh, with our community back in 2009. I mean, we wanted to re-energize it. It had really fallen off. Hawthorne's philosophy, probably when I first came on, wasn't really about building those trustful relationships consistently. We really put a lot of efforts and um, time into policing, and we didn't do a lot of relationship tending. So from that standpoint, we built some amazing programs um, over the last 10 years that I'm really proud of. Well, one of the programs is uh, Coffee with a Cop, I'm the co-founder of that program, which is now in about 26 different countries, spoken in about five different languages. Uh, some other programs that we have that I'm really proud of too is our facilities canine program where we have not your traditional canine that goes out and finds bad people or finds dope, but this dog is more of a therapeutic animal that sits with our victims sometimes, uh, helps the morale of our station officers, and uh, it's another way of building relationships that we do. Nice, nice. What kind of dog is it? Uh, it's a mix between a Labrador and a Golden. Okay. Yeah. So it has the right temperament, and that's through a partnership we have uh, called a CCI, Canines Companion uh, for Independence. And, um, you know, it's a good program that we started. We uh, pioneered that, you know, crossing our fingers, hoping that, you know, this thing would go well. And now it's it's become a uh, best practice for a lot of police agencies. Corona Police Department just recently got one. Um, some other police departments are looking into getting uh, facilities dog. Uh, once again, it helps a lot with our victims advocate part and it helps with the morale and it breaks down walls between the citizens and uh, the Harpound Police Department. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. That's kind of like, uh, you know, the historical, uh, you would think of the, the firehouse dog, the Dalmatian yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that part of it is something we were able to capitalize on. Um, and another good program that we're doing, we really doubled down on the mentoring piece. You know, we have an amazing program called Power Project which we take inner city girls, you know, underserved girls, and we expose them to non-traditional sports like hockey, uh, ice hockey, that is, and uh, footstall, which is miniature soccer. And uh, I don't even play hockey. I, I never got on a piece of ice, probably, yeah. and I never will. But uh, I'm responsible for the program, and I, I'm so proud of what these young ladies have accomplished. And we partner them up with uh, adult volunteer uh, women who come in and talk about their career as uh, women in the inner city and their struggles and how they need to uh, prepare themselves for college and, and uh, be successful in their career. So Nice, nice. And then what's miniature soccer? What, what is that? Miniature soccer is, is where you take a, um, uh, a, like a tennis court field, and which is paved as opposed to using grass. And they call it futsal. F-U-T-S-A-L. Okay. It, so it's it's pretty amazing. It's something playing a lot in Europe because they have, uh, you know, not a lot of fields. Uh, so it picked up and it's amazing. It really revitalized our park area. Um, we partnered with LA Galaxy and Herbalife at building uh, two in our parks. And these parks were troubled parks because we didn't have a lot of um, supervisors aspects of that park we didn't do a lot of policing other than you know uh, dope and uh, violence so we've been able to keep a, a, a what i call a safe space for our kids and now we we own that park now uh the, the citizens are back out out there in it the kids are playing they're engaged we have officers there on a weekly basis that are engaging with the youth out there and futsal like i said don't even know how to play it well but those kids are quick yeah, they really and it's a doorway for them to network with uh, members of the galaxy uh, community and give them some more opportunities for college and uh, internships. OK, back on the uh, on the hockey side, is uh, any of the hockey teams involved with that? Uh, yes, um, that would be the uh, Kings. Uh, the Kings are our primary donating uh, agency that helps us out tremendously. I mean, what I mean by helping us out annually, they give us about 24 sets of gear. Uh, and that's pads, that's helmets, that's uh, chest plates and all this other stuff that is relatively expensive. And and then a part of that is uh, buying time. 
So we started a nonprofit so that people who wanted to donate uh, resources to our uh, power project to buy time for ICE, because that's about, you know, $400 a month sometimes, uh, sometimes even more. But it's relatively too expensive for inner city uh, kids to even have that opportunity. And a lot of people don't know, but uh, it opens up the window for uh, college opportunities for our, our children. Because uh, throughout the nation, there are some hockey programs that provide scholarships. And why not allow our children to benefit from that too? So that's something we brought to the inner city. It's a, it's a great program and uh, some good mentoring. Are there a lot of female hockey teams around? No, not a, not a whole lot, but other than at the uh, college level. And so from time to time, USC will come out, uh, talk to our, our girls or uh, some other colleges would do some FaceTime with them. And, you know, because it's important for our young ladies to, to see a pathway to success. But there's not a whole lot of uh, female hockey teams out there. Uh, but yeah. there are some uh, independent teams that pick up game that play pickup games and so on and so forth. They, they really they get busy out there too nice 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 so in 25 years you've seen a lot what was your what was your pathway to to law enforcement did you oh, always want to be man. a cop what? yeah that, that's pretty interesting uh and i tell people all the time uh, so i think my pathway into law enforcement started when i was about seven years old See, because at seven years old, I'll be honest with you, Dale, I, I didn't respect the police department. I feared the police department, and I actually hated it, I think. Um, because did, I did, grew you grow up, up, did you grow up out here in L.A.? Or? No, no. I grew up in East Texas, a place called Longview. And, and at that time, I lived in the housing projects. And, of course, with all housing projects, uh, low socioeconomic areas, you got, you know, a variety uh, mix of crime. And you also have police that are coming into your community. And all I can remember when I was seven years old was that the police came to our community and they took people away and they showed very little compassion and they left very little explanation. So um, that led me to think about the police department very negatively. Um, but after 24 years, I now realize that I didn't have enough information about the police department. And I didn't have anyone in the police department that was willing to build a trusting relationship with me. Uh, to show me that, hey, look, this is what the function is, and these are the accountability managers that are here. So that led me to get out of Texas. I, I joined the United States Marine Corps when I was 18 years old. Uh, very much like the seven-year-old me didn't know enough about law enforcement, well, the 18-year-old me didn't know enough about the Marine Corps when I joined. I literally went to the Marine Corps recruitment station with a friend, returning some work, and 30 minutes later, I enlisted uh, with a T-shirt and a four-year contract. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and so that, yeah. that was my plane ride out of Texas, if you will. And I was stationed in California for a while. And right after uh, my enlistment in the Marine Corps, I, I got out. And uh, the Marine Corps made a mistake. They forgot to print my last check. So my last check... Uh, didn't get printed, so I didn't have those funds. And I was homeless for three uh, days on the streets in Long Beach in my car. Wow. And that issue was able to get resolved, and um, I was able to get a job. And my first job was in South Central Los Angeles, working at 38th and Western as a mental health social worker. There I saw, again, uh, a conflict between the citizens and the local police department. And this was 1992, so guess what happened in 92? The riots. I witnessed that firsthand and I was scratching my head. I said, I thought California didn't have these problems. <laughs> you know, I thought this was the Southern thing. Uh -huh. And so, uh, and once again, I saw the, the police department interacting with a lot of my clients. A lot of my clients had a lot of complaints about the police department. And then at the same time, I was uh, going to Long Beach City College. And uh, one of the coursework I had to take for human services had to do with juvenile justice system. And uh, my professor at that time was a retired Long Beach police officer. And he arranged for all the students to do a ride-along. My first ever ride-along was with Long Beach Police Department. And I, I started to realize that it wasn't what I thought it was. And um, I started thinking a little bit more about uh, possibly joining. Uh, but you have to understand, culturally speaking and family speaking, that wasn't a cool thing to do. 
Right. My mother, my mother begged me not to become a police officer uh, because that wasn't something that we really saw a lot of um, uh, pride in because of the history, uh, especially in the South uh, for me. And so in 1995, I, I had opportunity to go to the Amelia Man March on a bus with a whole bunch of brothers from Los Angeles. And we were doing some grassroots work around that area. And I just asked the question to the people that were on the bus driving to DC with me. Hey, how important is it for us to join law enforcement? And, and I was amazed, 100% of those people on that bus from every uh, background. And uh, of course we had Nation of Islam on the bus. We had some other grassroots brothers on the bus. And everyone said, we have to be a part of that. We have to be a part of the process. And it kind of struck me as something my uncle once told me. He said, you know, if, if you're not sitting at the dinner table, then you may be on the menu. And so that means get involved. If you have a problem, if you see a problem with something, sometimes you have to put some skin in the game. And, and that's what I was willing to do after getting that confirmation uh, from these men uh, that were riding that bus that day. So I was already in the process with Hawthorne and uh, Hawthorne picked me up in 1996. And I uh, began my career from that point. And it's been a really an amazing learning experience for me because it, law enforcement wasn't what I thought it was. Literally for, and I, I became a police officer at 26. So for 26 years, Dale, I, I really thought that the institution of criminal justice uh, divvied out by law enforcement was uh, corrupt. I, I really thought the system in itself were corrupt. And I'm not here to say that there aren't individuals in law enforcement that are corrupt, because they are. We call them criminals. Uh, but my experience in law enforcement has been somewhat uh, mind-changing. And I like to share that with so many people as I, I go about uh, my day. It's like, hey, it's not what you think it is. Get involved, get engaged, and you may come away with a new perspective and it's gonna change your narrative. So. That's why I do what I do. I, I use this platform to better that relationship. Wow, that's that's a story right there. It's not your typical story, I, I don't think, uh, but it, it is most definitely my my story. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And that experience at the at the Million Man March, yeah, I, I wish I could have been a part of that. Wow, it was amazing. It was really amazing. And and I think about um, what I was thinking while I was experiencing it. You know, like I said, being from the South, Dale, uh, whenever, and my, this has just been my experience, growing up in the project, it, it seemed like when there was always a group of us, us men together, there was bound to be violence. What, that's just been my experience. Uh, this was, uh, I tell you, being there on the mall with a million plus men and, and solidarity uh, and a peace, came over that crowd and we all came back with projects. We all came back with these mindset of how do we better collaborate? We started a program called uh, my, my, uh, my, my Child Says Daddy. Talked about how do you advocate for your rights as a parent uh, in this in system. Then we started another uh, safe passage program walking in the corridors of Crenshaw and Western you know, at around the high schools and elementary schools so that these kids can walk that area and not be um, converted into gangsters. You know, because by keeping that safe passage, a bunch of men in the community walking those corridors, making sure that our kids were able to walk unmolested, unharmed uh, along those ways in Crenshaw area. Nice, nice. So on the, on the topic of kids, do you have any? What, what's your family makeup like? Okay, so I'm married. Uh, I have uh, a set of twins, and I have a, a set of older boys that were before I got married. Uh, but my 10-year-old uh, son passed in 2013 from leukemia. So, so I'm now raising my 17-year-old uh, daughter, who is in her last couple of years of high school. Nice, nice. I have a granddaughter, okay. too, who's seven years old from my oldest son. And uh, that's a whole new experience in itself, you know. Yeah, grand granddad, huh? Yeah, I already, you know, <laughs> it's, it's funny because my oldest son is 30 years old. So and okay. I, I had him when I was 20. And, um, you know, it's been quite an experience watching uh, a couple of generational kids grow up. Uh, definitely, definitely. And how do they feel about dad being a cop? 
You know, they've always accepted that, primarily my boys, because I was a single father coming into law enforcement. And so my sons went to the local uh, elementary school and I would pick them up in my police car and I would bring them to the station and, and so that they can have that interaction um, in the police uh, department. One son uh, got into law enforcement, became a correctional officer for a minute or two. And uh, my oldest son, not so much. He, he's a DJ. He likes DJing okay. uh, and he you know, works independently and, and he loves that. That's his personality. So nice. it's, they've always been fans of it and, and they, they don't recall having any negative encounters with law enforcement. You know, mm-hmm. uh, very different for them, I think, uh, just the way they, they operate. Nice, nice. Yeah, me and your son got to hook up, you know. Yeah, like I, I DJ on the side, so <laughs> we got to hook okay, up. Okay, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And I know you mentioned earlier that your your mom wasn't too happy about that. Did she finally come around? Yeah, she she's funny, right? Because um to go to show you that we tend to bounce back to our narratives. And so it goes like this, Dale. So if there's a family member who gets arrested, I'm the first person that's called. If there's, if there's a member of my mother's church that gets arrested, I'm the first person that's called. Mm-hmm. So my mother's conversation with me is like this. Uh, uh, Robbie, uh, this your mom. Hey, so Sister Harrison's son got arrested, and I just don't think he did. Okay, mom, let me look into it, and uh, I'll get back with you. So yeah, I get back with mom oftentimes. They're like, well, mom, did you see that pursuit the other night on television? Yeah, I saw it. Well, that was Sister Harris's son, and he had his wife in the trunk. So I think <laughs> I think what he did was probably illegal. So she's like, oh, my goodness. He said, well, I just have to pray for him. So, so what's her narrative? Her narrative, fallback, still is, I, I question the police. I, I question the, the truthfulness of the police department. And so I, I confronted her one time. I said, Mom, won't you just admit that you love a police? That you just love a police? She said, I do. I do. Nice. So that aren't those people in our community every day? Those people are in our community every day. So we, we have to take trust uh, and, and understand it from where they're coming from. My mother's experience, her default setting is to distrust the police, even when her own son being a police officer. Right. He still right. defaults to the distrust because of historical issues that have impacted her life. Yeah. Is she still back in Texas or is she out here now? Yeah, she's actually in California now. Okay. All right. So she gets to see her baby every now and then. Oh, right? yeah. 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 I love it. <laughs> All right. So what, what do you like to do when you're not working now? So my, my big passions, well, you know, some people call this work, but mentoring is really my passion. You know, I, I use it as a hobby, um, but I, I my recreational stuff is I ride my bike, you know, but being a parent, you know, it's, it's really about your kids. It's really about my grandkids. It's really about, you know, uh, over the years, just sacrificing a lot of my own personal time. And as a result of that, yeah, I don't have a lot of friends that I hang out with because everyone is in that same path. Everyone is in that same flow. You know, you're going to your kids' games, you're going to your kids' activities, uh, you're supporting your kid with this. And my daughter just started driving last year or so. A lot of that is fading off, and me and my wife are kind of sitting around the house like, hey, what are we going to do? You know, let's go rent a van and, and go sightseeing or something. Yeah, yeah. I've got a 17-year-old who's driving now. He's going to be graduating this year. So, yeah, yep. wow. experiencing the same thing. Wow, chapter yeah. three. <laughs> yeah. Well, I still got one more, one more at the house. So. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, she's that a AC, sophomore now, so a couple AC more years for her. Will, that AC bill will continue to go up. Then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> tell me about it. Tell me about it. All right. So, so what do you think is one of the most rewarding parts of your job being a police officer? Okay. So you know, I, and there's several for me. Um, one is utilizing this platform to really be the face, the eyes, and ears of law enforcement. And, and, and talk to those community members that have trust issues. But another part of it that's just as valuable is, is setting the tone for what justice looks like. And what I mean by that, Dale, is that as a detective, I've had some major cases uh, that I've investigated. And in and, and one particular case, I remember finding the guy, it wasn't the right guy. 
despite what a lot of other people had thought, despite what other people thought they witnessed, it ended up being not the right guy at all. And having to go to bat for that for that guy uh, to get him free, and it took two years uh, to finally get him released from these charges and uh, someone else appropriately uh, prosecuted for the crime that uh, he was accused of. I don't think that there's a greater responsibility than to paint the truth. Uh, using your voice, yep. using your platform, using your authority to really get the truth out there. Even if it doesn't play well towards your case closure, you have to do what's right. And, and I've always enjoyed that part of being a police officer is using that authority in that way uh, of saying like, no, this person will not go down for something this person did not do. And, yeah. and that means that if I have to use my time and energy and influence to make it happen, I'm going to do it. So mm -hmm. that's one thing about it. And then there's the other, the, the flip side of that is holding people accountable uh, in some regards. I think about the case of Crystal Taylor. It was a murder case I had. And we finally was able to resolve that by uh, convicting her, um, her boyfriend who hired a hitman to assassinate her because she was pregnant with a child that he did not want. Wow. That took a while to uh, prosecute because just the evidence as well as the witnesses that finally came forth. Uh, and being a part of that, being a bystander on that, being someone who investigated that crime, uh, that was a sense of closure for that family. And being there in the presence of that family as they mourn the loss of their loved one, but being able to help them with a conviction later on was a big rewarding part of this career that I found. Absolutely. You know what his, uh, what his conviction was? How, how much time did he get? Uh, both of them got life in prison. Good, good. Yeah, both good. of them got life in prison. That case just settled in 2016. Nice. All right. Well, congratulations on that case and, and all the other cases that you worked successfully. I'm sure there's you know been some that you uh, that you worked that weren't so successful. I mean, it's part of the job, but of course. You know, good of course. work, good work. Good work. So, uh, you know, this podcast, this show is black and blue. So I want to, you know, focus a little bit on your experience as being an African-American in law enforcement. Have you have you seen any blowback from the community, uh, at least when you first started out um, from the family? I know we talked about that, but, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about your experience. OK, so, you know, what I've experienced as a, as a black police officer has, has been uh, a couple of things. Um, within my own family, um, my family loves me, so they get me. Um, my first couple of years in Hawthorne, I really had to build those relationships where people could trust me. Because being a black officer, the blue shows up before the black does, if that makes sense. Yeah. They see the blue way before they see the black. And, and once they start understanding you, that you're speaking from a position of being authentic and, and heartfelt, um, they're going to go down the road with you. They're going to trust you. They're going to invite you into their home. And I, and I always tell people, like, this trust is really as simple as a glass of water. My goal when I was a brand new police officer, and it's the same goal today, is that I wanted to be able to go into any community and knock on any door and just simply ask for a glass of water. And that person who answered that door is willing to give me a glass of unpolluted water because they trust me and or they may even have heard of me and they may not even trust the local police department entirely but they know officer williams has been trustworthy so and that goes against any cross uh, across any racial or cultural um, issues so the initial blowback has been resolved people who know me know me and people who don't know me have heard enough about me and they refer their loved ones that are in trouble to me. Now, from the perspective of, of a police department, what I realized about my police department, and, and I'm also a, a trainer, so I, I travel the nation training different topics, uh, one of which is cultural awareness. Most police agencies are, are not really culturally aware as much as they should be in order to gain better relationships. And, and the things I've been able to coach and guide my agency through, I've been able to uh, help them understand that when you show up on a scene, 
in, in a black community, in a black household, you refer to that mother appropriately. She's not gal, she's not girl, she's not anything else. You refer to her appropriately. And you don't um, adulterize our children. That means that the profanity that you were using out on the street with your friends, you don't dare come into a resident using that type of profanity in front of our children either. So it's been my job unofficially is to introduce those cultural nuances to people who are not of our culture. Because my goal is to have a better relationship between our police officers and our community. I want my police officers to be successful and I want our community to feel empowered that they have a police agency that listens to them, that cares enough about their cultural nuances to understand them. And that's why I started a program called Police Teen Dialogue. Um, and that's just basically getting our local teens together and having them ask police officers those burning questions, whatever those burning questions are. And we normally show something, uh, a contemporary film or some footage about something a black man being shot or something like that. So we can start conjuring up those images and we can start having those healthy dialogues mm -hmm. why this may have happened. And But more importantly, it's important for those officers to understand that level of energy and, and uh, pain that a community feels when these type of historical events happen over and over and over again. And so... I, I love that idea. And oftentimes, Dell, an officer who is, you know, predominantly Caucasian would be sitting in a forum like this, leaves that forum like, oh my goodness, I did not know these kids were so smart. And that in wow. itself is an issue. Yeah. But but the narrative of that officer has to now change. Because, you know, the, the cynic in me was like, well, why didn't you know that before, right? right. You, you should have known that in our community, we have scholars, we have uh, members of our community that are excellent at what they do. And they're, and they're critical in their thinking. Why didn't you know that? But instead of going down that road, I go towards the road of, I'm glad you now know. So treat people in those cultures appropriately. And that's the message for that. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. How's, how's it turn out, Ben, for that? You've been able to, to take that to lots of places and get lots of uh, uh, people involved in it? Yeah, I, uh, fortunately, um, when uh, President Barack Obama was in office, uh, they convened a 21st century policing um, group, and they wrote, a, they wrote a pretty good report on the things we can do to develop trust in our community. And that's one of the programs that was highlighted in that program. Nice, nice, nice. So moving forward, what, what do you see as the challenges for law enforcement in the future? You know, um, I, I think the challenges are, are the same as they were in the past. Uh, it's, it's all about relationships. It, it really is about relationship. It's about gaining legitimacy. Uh, and and, and there, so there's three things that law enforcement organizations have to do consistently. The first thing is that they have to spend more time out of those cars. Yep. They have to spend more time uh, in the face talking to people that are in the community. They have to. And then the second thing we have to do uh, consistently is hold unprofessional behavior to account. We have to show more transparency. How do we hold our officers to account when they make mistakes? How do we retrain and how do we expose them to new, uh, novice uh, new concepts so that they go out and do a better job. And the third and the final one is just as important as the rest of them is that we have to be consistent in our application. We have to tell people why. We have to tell the people why, slow things down, understand that verbal de-escalation should be a part of your makeup just as uh, that uh, role of showing authority. Verbal de-escalation doesn't take authority away from you. As a matter of fact, I would say it actually empowers you to better contain a situation where there's no need for force. So those are the three things. Uh, get out the car, spend more time with your community and your citizens. Tell people why, and then the third one, hold people accountable. Definitely, definitely. You know, playing devil's advocate, you know, all of us in law enforcement, every agency is is undermanned short-staffed and calls for service permitting you know your first point get out of the car and and uh 
commune with the community uh, may not be, you know, time sensitive, you know, that an officer on patrol can be able to do that. I mean, you know, you got specialized units that can do that, but maybe not so much patrol. You want to talk about that maybe? Oh yeah, most definitely, most definitely. I, 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 and I get that question a lot. I used to get that comment a lot in Hawthorne. I would hold our calls for services up against any South Bay agency. We have the highest volume of calls in the South Bay down. And if a city my size with our demographics have put an emphasis and an importance on getting out the car and uh, relating with our people better, anyone can. That's no longer an excuse. It's a necessity, it's an essential that you do. Because I would even argue that if you don't, you're gonna have more calls right. as opposed you do. You're gonna have more uses of force as opposed to you doing that. So that's always my pushback and I have the legitimacy to prove that through working at an inner city and having a high volume of calls that are just as dynamic as any place in the United States of America. No longer excuse. Yeah, yep, good deal, good deal. So uh, 25 years in, uh, how, how much longer you see yourself working? Ah, I, I was just talking about this the other day with my, with my wife. You know, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, I, every other day I wake up, I'm like, oh man, I love this job even more today. Oh wow, you know, uh, and it makes it dark. It makes it really difficult to put a timeline on it. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you, uh, like I tell all professionals, and I and I talk to people that I mentor, is that always be prepared for the nuclear winter. Meaning, always be prepared for the transition from here to something else. My favorite book that I give to people is uh, Who Moved My Cheese. Have you ever read that? No, I haven't. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't read that, I would I would suggest to read. It's about a 30-minute read, uh, but it's based upon a parable of these four subjects that live in a maze, and they're looking for cheese, and cheese is moved one day. And, and it talks about, you know, the unfolding roles that they play later on. We're all that. We're all uh, a part of that process. So I like to always think forward. I think that uh, when I do transition to the next career, uh, it would probably be uh, in a classroom setting, uh, teaching uh, college students in some form or the other. And I have a couple of other irons out there that I do. I, say, I do consulting work on the side. I do uh, training for law enforcement as well, uh, primarily mental health decision making and responding to crises like that. I also do uh, community relationship training. I do verbal de-escalation and uh, de-escalation training for law enforcement. And I do um, strategic planning facilitations for agencies. Talk about those cultural competencies. Um, so I got my hand on a lot of different things that really, really wakes me up in the morning. Yeah, sounds like you got a knack for whatever you want to try. Sounds like you can succeed at all of it. So yeah, you, you can, Dale. You can, right? Yeah. Why yeah. not? Yeah. Why not? Why not? Well, good, man. And then so on the on the heels of that. So within five years. If you're still working, where, where do you see yourself doing? Okay, so within five, within five years... Of the, of the um, police department. Right, at the police department. I, I want to promote. Uh, I want to promote to captain because that's another platform that I can use. Uh, in five years, I will continue to uh, be a mentor uh, to inner city kids. And, and what I mean by that is what we've done uh, through my mentoring program called On a Mission... We've taken kids to China in 2018. We've taken kids uh, to Morehouse. We've taken kids on historical black college tours and universities. And those kids are thriving in those environments now. You know, we have a, a, a crop of kids that are now in Tuskegee as a result of finding out that there was opportunity in Alabama for them that are from California. So those are my passions. And, and, and so in five years, I'll be doing the exact same thing with the exception of hopefully uh, by that time promoting up or moving out. Yeah, yeah. You, have you seen a lot of, I know you talked about some kids that are uh, in Tuskegee now. You've seen a lot of uh, good feedback and, and uh, change in this program? Yes, huge. Because what California doesn't have is historical black colleges. So when we load up a bunch of kids and we take them to uh, Morehouse and Spelman 
and uh, Clark, they're seeing a different version of themselves. They're seeing people that look just like them. They, ha they have great role models of men that are performing excellent work uh, around the nation. And it sometimes it's, it's a sharp contrast between Los Angeles lifestyle. So when I'm taking a kid from Crenshaw or Dorsey to China, and they're like, the, the people there are amazed that we've shown up in their country and, and they're interacting with these people and, and they see how the rest of the country see them. I mean, it boosts their ego, it boosts their self-esteem. And it shows them that this world is so much bigger than Los Angeles. And that's really the, the backbone of my mentoring is, is getting kids out, uprooted from this scene, trying something new, get out their comfort zone, go out and try something, you may, you may like it. Yeah, 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 definitely. So it is changing lives, it's changing perspectives. And that's really how you change life. Change the perspective, you would change the trajectory of men and women. Yeah. Have you seen uh, your programs kind of recruit uh, people in the law enforcement, you know, kids in the law enforcement? Not necessarily. That's not the focus per se. Uh, right. But I'll give you an example of a kid that lives out in uh, Riverside. When we started mentoring him when he was probably about 12, I think he went to D.C. with us when he was 12. Now he's 17 years old, about to graduate high school. On his to-do list, on his goals, for his career is law enforcement, which is, I was just, and I just found this out last year. I had never really talked to him about law enforcement. Most of the kids that I deal with know I'm a police officer and they're able to ask me those questions, but it's not necessarily there as a pipeline, but it is a secondary benefit of having a police officer mentor because people would emulate what they see in front of them. And not just what you wear, but what you say and what you think. and what you do career-wise. So it does act as an unofficial pipeline for us. Though. All right. Yeah, good stuff. Well, it is. Like, it's yeah, good. yeah that's, that's real good. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that you're doing that. It's not just uh, uh, you and the police department that's involved in that. You've got other professionals as well? Other professionals from all walks of life okay. uh, that, are, that participate in this program. I mean, we have business owners, we have doctors. One of our uh, mentors, she works for Kaiser. She just received her PhD. And so these are the role models we're putting around our kids. Yeah. Uh, and these are working dads, working moms that have dedicated a part of their time to mentor kids. So, Excellent. Yeah. Real good yep. stuff. Real good stuff. Congratulate you on that. Yeah. Trying to grow it. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, you know, I, I appreciate you, you know, coming on the show and, Expounding all your knowledge and, and what we can do to to help better ourselves and our communities is real good stuff. I appreciate it. Really do. You're more than welcome. I mean, getting the message out there is uh, it gives me great pride because because I to be honest with you, Dell, I was the uh, benefactor of uh, someone mentoring. You know, I, I would encourage anyone to find a mentor. Even uh, as I get older, I have mentors that help me out along the way. And a big shout out to uh, to uh, Q's, Omega Sci-Fi. <laughs> and, and I'm not a Q, but I tell you the story. You know, growing up in the projects, man, the Q's would come out to the projects and throw the football around with us. And uh, and I remember you know, me being a little smart kid. You know, I was like, why do you guys wear the same shirt? You always wear a purple shirt with that funny letter on it. What letter. is that? What's that about? And, and, and brother name was Stretch. And he said, um, we're, we're Omega Sci-Fi. I said, what's that, your job? He was like, well, it's kind of like a job, but it's not. We, we're college students, and this is the college. I said, and I looked at him strangely because, yeah, at this point, I had never seen a black man go to college. I didn't even know the college was for us. I was seven or eight years old looking at this man. I was like, oh, he's pulling my leg. Wow. Black man will go to college. So I still remember back those years. So Omega Sci-Fi has always been uh, true and dear to my heart about just showing me what's possible for me. No matter how far I got off goal, I still was able to navigate back towards the opportunities that are available and that college is obtainable for people like me. Yeah, and it is, and it should be. Where, where'd, yes, you, it should where'd you be, finish right? up? So I finished up at uh, my master's degree from University of Phoenix via 
Dominguez Hills, the uh, Cal State Fullerton, the uh, Long Beach City College. Yeah. And I, my undergrad is from Union Institute and University in Criminal Justice. All right. We're showing that example, setting that example out there for the younger ones to see that that's what it's all about. You have to pursue that education because it's going to open doors for you that uh, you may not have known even existed. I wouldn't have never become a police officer if it was not for the campus uh, of, of uh, Long Beach City College sitting in Mr. Boyer's class and him telling me about uh, law enforcement and me going on a ride along. I, I don't think I would have ever ended up in law enforcement if not for that opportunity. Yeah, education is what it's all about. I'm actually finishing up my master's now. I got to keep up in my household because my wife is a PhD. So, yes. yeah, I got to. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't Heavy. just. Yeah, I couldn't just have the the bachelor's. I got to at least get my master's. So, hey, you know, and that and that's the whole thing about partnership, right? Partnerships pull. It's just like working out in the gym. Yeah, you're working out in the gym. You got someone who's pushing pushing a little bit more weight. Well, you motivated to push a little bit more weight. No doubt, no doubt, and and that's rubbed off on our kids. Like I said, my my son's graduating. He's got all these offers from different colleges, and then my daughter, she's in the tenth grade, and she's already getting the letters already because she's a good student. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's just the household, just seeing what, like you said earlier, what you see is, you know, kind of what you do. Yeah, that's what you emulate. No, yeah. no, that's that's something that uh, I'm proud to be able to say. I, I broke the generational uh, gap in my family. I'm the first in my, my family to acquire a master's degree and a bachelor's degree. Um, now, my nephew, who is, uh, he's a little bit, about, about 10 years younger than I am, is, uh, you know, he just finished his master's degree from Paraview. Uh, down in Texas, you know, so so it can be broken, uh, and I encourage people to be the leader of that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so you still got family down in Texas, right? Yes, all of them, <laughs> with except of- my mom. <laughs> how, how often do you get back? You know, I try to go back once a year. Um, I tend to go back sometimes more, depending on graduations mm-hmm. and, and marriages, right? Right. So that that's that's where I go back to. All right. Well, good. Well, glad hearing your stories and all that. What, what's that? Uh, what's that shirt you wearing underneath? It looks like more. Is that Morehouse? It's that Morehouse. Yes, man. sir. <laughs> that Morehouse. Yeah. You know, I, I encourage that. I was so impressed with the program they have there in Morehouse. Uh, a young, a lot of young people um, are going to be going to Morehouse as a result of our tours we, we conduct. A lot of our young ladies from Crenshaw are going to be going to Spelman as a result. You know, so win-win yeah yes sir all right so before i let you get out of here um i got a little something i like to play with my guests a game or a lightning round i'm gonna choose you for a lightning round so uh, okay right here this is called uh, last night i saw a superhero he was black he said this is for the street black lightning's back so this is my black lightning round i call it i'm just gonna okay quick fire some questions to you and you get some quick fire answers back and then uh, okay. we'll see what your response is. Okay, so you've been in law enforcement a number of years, so you must have seen this. First one's uh, Ford Explorer or Crown Vic? Ford Explorer. Ford Explorer. You like that better than the Crown Vic, huh? Yeah, higher platform. Yeah, yeah. Easier to get in and out. As I get older, I don't like to go down. I like to just go parallel. No doubt, no doubt. Next one, uh, Prince or Michael Jackson? Prince. Prince, all right. Can you still hit a silhouette target with a rifle from 50 yards out? Yes. All right. How many cups of coffee do you drink a day? None. Zero. Okay. Nice. Favorite TV dad? Um, good times. Good times. James, James Evans. Evans. Uh, he, he ruled that household with an iron fist, right? Man. <laughs> yeah. Ninth grade education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the most amount of tickets you've written in one day? One? <laughs> one. I guess traffic's not your big one. thing, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do the ticket thing that all much. Right, you know? All right, all right. I hear you. USC or UCLA? Neither. <laughs> now you got you to pick one. You, you, okay, USC. USC, okay, all right. Because their impact in South Central Los Angeles. There you go. Yeah. I applaud them. All right. Uh, during a consensual search of a subject, you find some dope in his pants and he says, these pants aren't mine. What do you say? 
I'm laughing at him. <laughs> I'm like, bro, I heard that about 15 yeah. times already. For real. Um, any person, dead or alive, that you'd like to meet if you could? Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King. That's a good one. Malcolm X. Yeah, both of them. Actually, yeah. Um, so you said uh, in your Prince of Michael Jackson thing, you said uh, Prince, correct? So yes. finish this line. They say 2000 zero, zero party over. Oops, out of time. Oh, oh, out of time. Dun, dun. I'm going to party like it's 1999. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So I appreciate you, uh, you know, playing along with that. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. See, I, I put you on the spot. Yeah. You, you, you better have known that one. That one's. <laughs> oh, yeah. Got, got you. Got, got you. you. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on, LT, and uh, yeah, I wish you lots of success and be safe, and you know, stay away from the COVID out there in Hawthorne, and Without. yeah, yeah, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. All right. Adele, once again, thanks for having us on here. You're a great host. I'm looking forward to working with you in the, in the future. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, yes, y'all. That's it for this episode of the Black and Blue Podcast. I want to thank my guests. Lieutenant Robbie Williams of the Hawthorne, California Police Department for joining me on this episode. And I want to thank all you guys out there for joining me as well. If you like the content that I'm putting out, make sure you like and subscribe to the Black and Blue Podcast on the YouTube channel or whatever podcast platform you're hearing my voice today. And be sure to check out Black and Blue Live. That's the live version of this show that I put out on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Periscope. I bring on panels of guests and we talk about various topics. So be sure to check that out. The podcast will be back next week with another stimulating guest. But till then, y'all know what to do. Stay black in blue. I'll holler at you. Peace. This has been a Major D Entertainment presentation.